0: welcome to the debut episode of the f team i'm your host hayden van roon the f team is a fortnightly podcast and webinar series where we discuss all things business technology today we'll be talking what's new in surface hardware uh, new microsoft teams features that are coming to your laptops shortly some open networking platforms from the networking and connectivity team and much much more i'm excited to introduce our next guest he's our now a seasoned veteran of our webinar and podcast series. He's our hardware aficionado. He's the man with the best beard you've ever seen. I'm talking, of course, about Nathan Kettle. How are you, Nathan?
1: Not bad, Doss. How you been today, bud?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it's a bit cold up here on, uh, on Mount Daniel, but um, we're getting there. It's, it's beautiful country up here.
1: Just enjoy the views, mate. Let's indeed. talk about some hardware.
0: Yes, indeed. So before we talk about the hardware, a little birdie told me that you've had a title change
1: oh somewhat of a title change correct yeah. yes yeah so
0: what's the what's the story with that what's what's going on
1: uh, i'm now uh a hardware engineer and for fast track so uh <laughs> a a narrowing of my focus into the areas that i love the most so it's uh it's been a, a very good change very welcome
0: yeah well congratulations i think um i'm excited to see you in this role it's uh certainly aligned to the passions that i've known you for a very long time and this is uh Something I know you're very passionate about, so it's good to see that you're in your element now, and now that we've got you in your element, um, I wanted to talk to you about Surface. So, like, what, what is it about the Surface series that, that has you interested or what gets you excited about the Surface series?
1: Surface series tends to have a solution for most use cases that you come across uh, it 's a very well designed and very well executed package uh, across most of the fronts there 's very rarely a, a major issue um, with the ecosystem, and when there is it 's usually fixed pretty quick uh, they 're very well fit and finished um, they sort of think along the same lines as your macbooks uh, it's, It seems to be the the, the Microsoft and Windows equivalent. Of the, of the Apple MacBook. They're usually very thin and light, um, good portable power, uh, power and uh, long battery life uh, and just really, really nice looking units too. So um, you don't look out of place in any of those uh, high-level meetings.
0: Um, all right. So let's start with the big news um, or, or news-ish. Um, the heavy hitter of the uh, Surface series was released in May and that has you know, most people at Fast Track are pretty excited. Um, I'm talking, of course, about the Surface Book 3. Um, so, obviously, Nathan, you're a hardware man. Um, you're really excited about this one. Um, so, what, what is it about the Surface Book 3 that has made an impression on you?
1: What is it not about the Surface Book 3 that don't right. Ned well, don't like? <laughs> maybe, look, maybe
0: we just need to dial down the fanboyness.
1: Uh, no. um, Out of all that, the Surface yeah. lineup, the Surface Book usually gets me the most hyped uh, mostly because of its capability. Uh, it, it's, it's the, you know, the dog that can do the most tricks. Um, yeah. if, if I may borrow a phrase, so it, it's a, a much more powerful unit processing wise, uh, it comes with inbuilt graphics. So it's, um, it's got a lot more cap- capacity to do, uh, uh, higher workloads, but it's also a two in one device. So the screen can actually split from the keyboard and you can use it as a tablet. So if you need to go somewhere and you know, the things are a bit tight or you're on the go, you're on the move, um, you can put it into tablet mode, use it as a tablet, get back to your office, it's now desktop again. So it's got some really good flexibility.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I wish I had one.
1: Um, <laughs> I am pushing for some one. upgrades.
0: Yeah, I need to, need to market some more things. Um, uh, so like, who does it work best for?
1: Oh. Well, it's, sort, it's mostly uh, intended for uh, power users, so mm. content creators, uh, web designers, uh, developers, um, people that might even be after work gamers uh, mm. in, in, in your own time. Uh, right. it, it's really good at CAD automation, app development, graphic design with all the extra hardware included. So, uh, if, if you find that a, a regular sort of office work laptop can't sort of fulfill the needs of the tasks that you're doing, then the Surface Book is what you need. It's essentially a, a desktop in a laptop.
0: That's pretty cool. And um, so, what are the, the drawbacks of,
1: uh, of this device? So, some of the drawbacks would be it's a little bit heavier. Um, yeah. So when you're, when you're talking portability um, from the, the total unit, uh, it's a little bit heavier than a Surface Laptop 3, for instance. Uh, it also uses a lot more power um, comparably. Mm. So the battery life isn't quite as long as a Surface Laptop 3. But if you're using it as a desktop to do um, heavy compute, then chances are you're plugged in anyway. So the, mo- mm. the major drawback is if you're out all day running really heavy compute, like video mm. rendering or CAD automation, um, you may have a recharge point uh in in that day but uh, overall uh, i think it, it does quite well
2: hmm.
0: i guess uh, if you live in melbourne um, you're not having to take it anywhere so <laughs> not anytime soon anyway. so that, that cloud uh, has a silver lining doesn't yeah, it? yeah exactly yeah very good and um you know how does it compare to competitors i know that you know we're, we're all surface fanboys but you know we know that it's you know it's got a particular target market so like what how does it compare to some of the other devices in
1: in its kind of range so it can support up to 32 gigs of memory which a lot of laptops struggle to support uh in Mm -hmm. in most ranges so it is a premium product uh it Mm -hmm. it looks like and feels like a premium product and it supports um premium capabilities Uh, if anything it's it's on the high end of the market so uh it, it can be a little bit more expensive tco Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you do get that performance that goes with it.
0: Nice one. Very good. Um, if you had to describe it in three words, only three words, What would you, how would you describe it?
1: Uh, can I do four? Uh, sure. Can I have one? Can I have one? All right. <laughs> I'll, the, bring the, it up the, yeah. I'll
0: bring it up the train.
1: Yeah. I think it's just got some really good um, design choices. All of the compute, for instance, is in the back of the screen. Rather than the bottom of the laptop, so mm. if you're on a train, uh, it's the middle of summer. You don't have all that heat sitting on your lap. You know, it's it's going out the screen where it's it's not a problem. So I think there's just some really intelligent design choices. Um, the strength of the hinge as well. It's a really cool designed hinge. It's got the all these little segments to it. So uh, I think um, they really excelled in the design level. And I think just thinking outside the box with all the flexibility. Um, that's what makes me probably prefer it
0: so the 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 next topic i wanted to bring up was uh surface earbuds so for this one it seems like anything apple can do microsoft will do but slightly differently and that certainly seems to be the case for the surface earbuds so they're released in may of this year so they've been around for a little while they've got this really unique flat look about them it's kind of like this product that i wouldn't have expected microsoft to kind of go after nathan what's your take on these things
1: Uh, It feels to me uh, out of all of um, the Surface products that this is possibly one of the most ambitious and it almost feels like the future happening now um, with the way they operate, the way they look uh, and the functionality that's starting to get incorporated into that particular um, piece of hardware. Uh, I don't know if like there's some futuristic movie I can reference here where people have those holographic, um, you know. (laughs) PDF readers or, you know, yeah, a little, yeah, something like that. But like out of everything, this sort of feels like it's the closest to that sort of futuristic approach to technology. So um, yeah, it's definitely piqued interest.
0: What's the use case for these things? Like they, you know, they they seem, they seem a little bit pricey and they seem um like they're trying to be a little bit different um in a fairly crowded market. So, you know, what, what sort of use case will suit the surface earbuds do you think?
1: So they can do everything that an earbud can do. They, they, yeah. they, they, they transport music, sound, all sorts of you know auditory responses to your ears. So from that perspective, they're no different from any other earbud. The, the, the real kicker is that it has capabilities and functions inbuilt that you don't usually see uh, in an earbud. So uh, you can actually use the earbud itself um, if you're using it to listen to your playlist, for instance, on Spotify. It has app integrations that you can just swipe it to fast forward or, you know, go to the next track uh, volume up and down. You can actually control everything from there. So you don't need to get your phone out and work on it that way. It's all, you know, it's all up here now. Uh, you can also do your call answering, uh, call ending, things like that by by interfacing with the, the earpieces themselves. Um, dictation to apps like Word and Outlook, you can have that app integration. And if you want to send an email, um, you can set it all up and just dictate, your email and get it sent without having to touch a keyboard. It's also compatible with PowerPoint. You can run the PowerPoint presentation from your earbuds. So like, it's just That's like, it's just wow. Like, so someone could be standing in, in their in their presentation and just, you know, running through the slides by swiping their hands past their earpiece. It's just, but you, but it's you'd have log. to
0: like, you'd have to explain that to everyone before you started the presentation. Now I'm going to be touching my ear a lot, <laughs> but, but it's not some kind of weird medical condition. It's just an, a surface ear bug. Yeah.
1: I, I didn't go swimming and got some <laughs> waterlogged.
0: So obviously the people who shouldn't be looking at this is, is I guess anyone who just wants to, to listen to music wirelessly, right? Is that fair to say? If
1: you're if you're just looking for earbuds, then they're probably not the product for you. This is uh, this is a real sort of power user integration scenario. Um, mm. it, it allows the user to push uh, functionality to a device that they wear or slash carry. Um, which keeps your hands free for other important tasks. Um, you know, if you're if you're in the, the middle of the kitchen chopping carrots for your dinner, and uh, suddenly you know you need to fire off an email, some emergencies come across. You can just dictate it while you while you're doing your work. So, um, it, it's it's certainly a very powerful tool, and I think one that more use cases will come up for as the technology and use case matures because it is sort of almost like a first in class um, that that it's still, it's an expanding space and uh, further functionalities and use cases will come forward as time progresses. So uh, it's it's really interesting to see Microsoft so out in front on this.
0: Mm. It's interesting, like thinking about it, it it feels like a real, like business technology play in a, you know, a product that's product category that's really been owned by the consumer market as well
1: yeah it does it does get a little blurry there um yeah and i, and I think that's all that's a good thing because why yeah. can't we get uh personal use out of out of something that you know you can use in and also in your work life um i think yeah. it's, it, it, cre- it creates a better value in the product rather than having this is for work this is for home you know psh, mush the two together and mm. more value so it, from that perspective um it, it, it is really good value. Just uh, mm. if, if you're not someone who can make use of those uh, extra functionalities, then um, it's, pr- it's probably better off going for something like a, a Microsoft headset or uh, a Logitech headset or something like that.
0: Got it. Yeah, nice one. And the most important question is, would you wear them? They've got this very unique circular look. They're very obvious in your ears. Would you, would you wear them?
1: I would certainly give them a go uh I, i'm uh, obviously i'm not someone who's too concerned about his looks um i don't know if you've noticed but uh what people think with uh, with, with my headphones in i'm not really worried about because you, you, you take the apple earbuds for instance they look like you know pieces of cigarettes hanging out your ear or something like that whereas these are flat and flush so i think they're actually yeah. less visually invasive in that respect Hopefully there's like, you know, some sort of little cover you can put on there and I can put a little like Hawks logo or something on this. <laughs> and everyone can know that the Hawks are the best team in the AFL.
0: The next one I wanted to talk to you about was the Surface Go 2. So uh, this is kind of, like we talk, we touched on this hybrid tablet um, mm-hmm. uh, technology before. Um, so this has been against uh, around since about early May, um, the Surface Go 2. Um, and it seems like a pretty handy device. Where does it fit into the, the Surface mix here? Because it, it, it kind of, yeah, it's a, it seems like it, it's a fairly unique play.
1: Yeah, it's, it's certainly a bespoke uh, device, but mm. I feel like there's, uh, there's a lot of use case for it um, yeah. for people on the go. That, that's, that's obviously why they've called it a Surface Go, because uh, if, if you're out there and you're on the move, uh, you don't really have the capacity to be lugging around a, a heavy piece of equipment. And uh,
0: also, the Surface on the Move is a terrible, terrible name. So hence well, the Surface Go.
1: You're, you're the marketing guru, so I'll, um, I'll bow to your knowledge on that one. Uh, it, so like, it, it takes care of all the things that you might want to do when you're out and about, so you know, catching up on your emails, um, you can, you know, doing doing online shopping, uh, browsing content consumption, um, even streaming videos. Bored on a train trip, pop it out, you know, uh, stream any sort of video content that you want. It's quite light; it's um just over half a kilogram, so you barely even notice you're carrying it. So it's a, so if you're out all day uh, and you're off desk, it's much easier to manage than say, uh, you know, a full size laptop while you're out and about, or you know, even a, a larger tablet. So, uh, it's a ten and a half inch display. So it's not exactly small. Uh, mm. It does quite a good job and it's suitable for the you know, general purpose tasks. Um, mm-hmm. It has a 220 ppi screen, so it's actually quite pixel dense. So the resolution on it is, um, is really good. So HD movie streaming, very nice.
0: So it sounds like this is very much designed for non-power users. Um, they're, they're sort of maybe even a second device to their, mm-hmm. to their main device, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, well, it, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's crossing that boundary between sort of where mobile phones stop uh, and tablets and, and smaller laptops begin. Because there are just some tasks where your mobile phone is too small for, even if you've got a, a note or something along those lines, uh, where an, an the use case of a laptop just might not be comfortable. So it sort of fills that gap in between. And the, the, the big thing is, is it carries over LTE technology from the mobile device. Uh, into this portable device, which most laptops don't support. So hmm. you can put a SIM card in it and you have 4G connection or 3G if you live out my way. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so there's no need to hotspot. So you don't have to get your phone out hotspot to your laptop to get your, your mobile device up and running. It's just on the go the whole time.
0: And how does it uh, like compare in market to some of the other competitors out there?
1: It's, it's a fairly niche piece of kit. Uh, hmm. I think it stands fairly alone that there are more and more of these devices coming out. The market is there for them. So mm-hmm. many people are now starting to produce them uh, like your, your, the folding Samsung phones that are, that are mm-hmm. being created. There, I think there's a, a version two of that uh, which is vastly improved over its mm-hmm. version one iteration. Um, mm-hmm. So they, these sort of devices are becoming more popular and I think yeah. we'll see more iterations of it. So as far as competitors go, I think like, the surface goes stands above its competitors currently because it's just it's better developed for the task at hand.
0: For me, I, th- I think you know I probably wouldn't get one because I th- I feel like um, the my needs from a um, phone to laptop are, are pretty well met. Um, but I think you know for like uh, you know someone like our our managing director or um, some of the other people consultants on the team who are mm. you know on the road on public transport, mm-hmm. you know, jumping between, um, you know, consulting engagements or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that also, need to get also, those little tasks done, right?
1: Yeah. Also like technology installations. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we're working on outside of, of this discussion is, um, automation, um, and that sort of thing in the home and the office. So having something small, light and portable that's going to last all day that you can conduct those tasks on uh, would be much more preferable than to be lugging your laptop around everywhere, especially when you've Mm. got tools and bits of kit to install and stuff like that. You you wanna minimize your carry as much as possible.
0: Uh, I just wanted to give a quick plug to the Fast Track store. Um, So I believe that is uh, publicly available now. particularly for our customers and they can check out, um, you know, our broad range of surface, um, and other hardware, um, on the device, uh, sorry, on, on the, on the, on the store. So, um, go check that out. Um, you can uh, expect some, our customers can expect some some emails about, um, how to get access to that. Um, and we'll put a link in the description as well. Um, so any, anything else from you before we sign off this segment,
2: Nathan?
1: Uh, Yeah, just um, stay tuned for this, because there's a lot of movement in the hardware space. And I think with the the global situation, um, more and more people opting to work from home or finding the need to work from home. Uh, There's so much more we can do uh, without having to be in an office. And we're finding that out. And and it's been a pretty big revelation to a lot of companies. So um, keeping ahead uh, of mobile technology um, is going to be a pretty big emphasis, I feel, in the next 12 months
0: definitely i think um we've all got to be on our toes and and be adaptable and agile and all those you know terms that we throw around um it's never those terms those wanky terms have never been more appropriate <laughs> so um uh i think that's a good point well um it's been a pleasure nathan thank you so much
1: um, Rob
0: look forward to hearing your thoughts uh in the not too distant future I'm excited to announce our next guests, um, starting with uh, our leader of end user computing team. He's the dynamic Bart Ferguson. Welcome, Bart.
3: Hello. Welcome. (laughs) I'm happy to be here.
0: It's good to have you here, mate. And uh, our commander in chief, uh, the aviator, I'm trying out that new nickname, uh, Mr. (laughs) Yoni Kirsch. Welcome,
4: Yoni. Hello, mate. How's it going? Good. How do you feel about the aviator?
0: aviator. Do you like it?
4: It's not bad no bad all right
0: we'll, we'll we'll see if we can what aviator doesn't on.
3: like uh you know yeah, i I, I i would just accept the leo reference if anything <laughs> the leo reference DiCaprio. all oh, right <laughs> you're saying that i'm a leo no. I
4: mean, but, <laughs> oh wow you know that's funny does that mean something no
0: <laughs> well, i got a joke you hate us
4: yeah hit me how do you know if someone's a pilot
0: uh they um i don't know how
4: he'll tell you uh yes. <laughs> yep.
0: yes i think that tracks well with the pilots that i know <laughs> in this segment we're going to be talking all things microsoft i'm really there's been some cool developments in microsoft teams and in endpoint management that i'm excited to chat to the boys about and hopefully there'll be some time for this, some discussion about some recent cybersecurity threats that uh, businesses uh, Australia, australian businesses in particular should be looking out for um so let's let's kick it off um so one of the most publicized uh, developments in to hit microsoft teams the release of together mode and the large gallery view and i know that's something that um, everyone in this panel has been begging microsoft for particularly the gallery mode um and i feel like uh together mode might be just a, a nice to have although Looking into it, it seems like there, there's, there's some uh, differentiators in the product. So I'm keen to, to get everyone's thoughts on that. So let's start, uh, but you know, why don't you run us through the difference between uh, together mode and, and gallery view?
3: Yeah. So, out. uh, Microsoft has released, uh, this new feature. Um, it's, it's readily available. Now you do need to go into your settings and make an adjustment in regards to accessing that new meeting experience. However, once you're there, it gives you the opportunity that when you're joining a meeting of nine or more people, uh, you're able to select two different functions, one being large gallery in which uh, you'll be kind of designated into little squares and allocated kind of evenly in your uh, window. And yep. then with the together mode you're kind of put into a scenario of being in an auditorium or a real life situation whereby you get a different experience and and microsoft believes that it kind of adds to the environment that you're working in or you're discussing with
4: more realism think,
3: less less yeah.
4: fatigue of some kind
0: yeah. yeah yeah so i read a little bit about The online meeting fatigue, and given I think it's got something to do with your ability to actually with everyone on on one screen it allows you actually to make eye contact with everyone and everyone has the same view. So in you know in gallery mode I think everyone Yeah the tiles get laid out differently they get laid out differently for everyone. Whereas in in together mode
3: everyone's looking at the same people. You're very um, static in in that in that. So it's kind of like you adds
4: to the opportunity for distraction of people like trying to high five each other and whatever
3: else, right? Yeah, which kind of contradicts the, the, the idea that you, you get more out of it working in that layout. But there are, there are some cognitive reasoning with, behind it because, uh, as you said, eye contact is a key part of communication and, and sometimes you don't get that if you've got someone looking at their second screen, reading off their, their information rather than looking directly at the camera or uh, yeah, you you kind of notice people not paying attention more so in that together mode because you're all in that same kind of structure and people are looking at each other more than anything else.
0: And I guess a good point about, you know, I think Yanni's first thing was, uh, you know, it gives you the opportunity to get distracted. And I think the value of of this kind of new uh, feature is that you do have both models right so if, if you do have say maybe a young team and and you've got a full company meeting and you're discussing something really important and you don't want people to be distracted then you know maybe gallery views the the tool for you
4: and um, or is the distraction just because it's new and novel and the distraction goes away after a minute when everyone gets used to it
3: it could also be the background itself like the fact that like an auditorium is is the main one that they've released thus far i'm sure they'll bring more into it but if they put you in like an office scenario something that you're used to maybe that changes the perspective it's hard how do you put people around a boardroom table i'm sure they could superimpose it somehow but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting if they do release different options within that. Cam. Yeah, need a really curved monitor to <laughs> the full experience. I
4: don't know. It's an interesting play, right? It's probably worth, you know, thinking about the like, what's the catalyst to make all of these new view modes and everything that that are going on. You know, I mean, uh, certainly, um, uh, current world events are. Um, uh the thing that that drove this you know back in at christmas time last year you could have a maximum of four people four video feeds up at one time uh, in the team's call mm. and and still inexplicably so on a team's room system <laughs> um, but uh but yeah you know obviously uh the the move happened to move the normal uh um the normal uh gallery mode up to nine nine video feeds and that still wasn't enough like for for, you know we know that firsthand on a monday morning we have our uh our all hands meeting and you know just like it really detracted from the uh scenario i I think this time last year it would be unusual for us to have more than four video feeds because we'd have a couple of different meeting rooms in offices full of people and you know sometimes 15 people in the boardroom next next door here kind of cuts down the number of feeds quite quite dramatically but that's right all of a sudden overnight we found ourselves with everybody sitting in their bedroom or whatever at their house Mm. you know def i i i felt it it was it's really hard to have a a collaborative meeting with you know 20 people with without being able to see everybody at the same time That's yeah right.
3: i can i can only imagine other scenarios like a, a teacher like an educational based person or anything imagine like that. that yeah the and kids i think that
4: figure out that all they need to do is not speak and they'll their face will never appear on the <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah so i uh, i think microsoft have, have um done an all right job in in releasing it although that the time frame of it uh, is a key point of conjecture as well.
0: Yeah, they took, what was it, four months or whatever, you know, of everyone begging them for it, arguably longer. Yeah. Is, do, do, does anyone have any insight as to why it took them so long to, to release this and why oh, look, it took I mean, it? it's
4: uh, You know, it's, it's it's immediately apparent that the uh, the catalyst for it took Microsoft by surprise. I mean, who <laughs> it, it took everybody by surprise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Microsoft Teams is a big platform. Mm. Um, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but there are, there are many, many, many millions of users. Microsoft long since learned a lesson about shotgunning updates into, into production without, without a bit of rigor. Um, yeah. And so, you know, four months to, to totally re-architect the way that they do the, the, the graphical layout in, their, in the meeting platform doesn't seem unreasonable to me.
3: Um, yeah. And not only that, but uh, Microsoft are forward-thinking. There's new features and new functions that they've got in the in the um, pathways. That if they didn't do this right the first time, then they're not going to be able to go back and change the implementation. So yeah. yeah, well, and that's that's
4: evident, right? Because otherwise, it would have been a simple change to go from f- two by two to three by three, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever region it re- needs to be. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, obviously it required some significant rework or it wouldn't have taken that long. Yeah.
0: You know, how do you get access to this? Does everyone have access to, to together mode and
3: gallery view right now, Bart, or they, um, they do as long as they're, they're updated to the latest version of teams and yep. that, that new mate um, new meeting experience option is checked within um, their team settings. Yep. um uh the key thing to note is the if if users are using teams and and they don't see the new experience um the the key thing is the the bar which normally you operate from the bottom in terms of answering your calls and sharing your content and everything like that actually is at the top of the screen now mm. um so and it'll be popped out into a new window correct that too which thank you well mm. it, it, it um, everything, if you're using your, your Teams as your one-stop platform for your file sharing and, and your chat messages and everything else, it makes sense.
4: Yeah. Again, just, you know, extra distraction features, making it easier to get distracted while you're on a call and go start <laughs> IMing your mates. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've personally found that. Uh, pop-out windows so helpful though just you know I'm, I'm absolutely I'm using teams to do a lot of different things and including different people in conversations and just being able to
4: have the two windows open simultaneously is amazing feature request um, <laughs> it's still not quite right the, the, the one thing that still needs work is the handling of um, content sharing inside mm. a meeting we're still in the position where we're forced to to make a decision to choose between having a good video experience and having a good content sharing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when, when we're the recipient of the content sharing,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, which, which is just still really, really frustrating. Um, yeah,
3: I think they're looking at pinning, like giving options to pin and, and rearranging the, the pop out. You need to be able to out. pop out. Yeah.
4: Well, that's the thing is, so with the large gallery mode, you can pin particular people. So, you know, you've got, 50 people in a call and you can take the best looking people and you pin them so that <laughs> they turn up bigger than everybody else but you can't pin the content i think it's a technical limitation to be honest i think it's it's the there's still some challenges to work through in terms of how um the content finds its way into the video feeds i think they're kind of sitting in a different place at the moment but that hmm. that would be that that's the big clincher um is being able to have the content split out onto another window and perhaps even a different screen if if you wanted to
0: i know it's a, it's a personal pain of mine when you're in a meeting and you're listening to someone talk and you need to see what's on their screen sometimes it's like a planner board or something fairly excel spreadsheet and i just i don't want to i, I want to see it there i don't want it to go away but i want to see the person who's talking to me fairly big it's equally important to see that and particularly for our business where you know even you know pre-world events um you know our team is very collaborative collaborative across sydney and melbourne and we're not
4: saying the c word is that (laughs) whatever like i'm just i'm
0: (laughs) I'm just sick of saying it to be honest um covid 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 oh it's behind me um (laughs) uh (laughs) but uh but yeah, so I, you know, I'm just I'm I'm holding out for that to be honest because um, I'm I'm sick of looking at an Excel spreadsheet and a tiny person down the bottom. I'm, I'm really holding out for that. <laughs> so it's not just me.
4: You know, yes. you can switch, right? You if you click on them, if yeah. you click on the if you click on the thumbnail of the of the video feed, it puts the thumbnail big and then it make, puts the, <laughs> the um, screen sharing that catches yeah. me out quite often. Often I'll I'll do that because I, I would almost prefer to look at people's faces. Um, mm-hmm. then, you know, the content they're sharing is nine times out of 10, they're talking about it. So you don't really need to see it anyway. Uh, I, I quite often get caught out, so someone says, Oh, if you look here, I'm like, Oh, sorry. I actually wasn't, I had that minimized. Yeah.
0: Um, well, yeah, I think the, what we can all agree on there is there's some pretty, pretty big stuff happening um, with together mode and, and uh, different views. And I think yeah. that, you know, you want to just see that continue and see them continue to optimize it. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're unlikely to see um, any slowdown on, on investment in, in teams. It's a big thing. In fact, there's a couple other features I want to raise too. Um, oh, before you,
4: before you go, um, yeah. have you heard about what the NBA is doing with Together Mode? No, I heard this secondhand, but um, uh, I, I heard that they've that you can buy a ticket to the NBA, and um, you get put in like they're For grouping people seating. together, fifty people at a time. And then they've set up big TVs around the court. And That's so crazy. All the fans been <laughs> together mode. So you're playing ball on the court. You could see, you know, the whole groups of fifty people per per TV That's cool. watching it. Yeah. Someone got excited. They had
3: Shaquille O'Neal in there. <laughs> the
4: call you know uh, i think that's um, awesome
3: there's a plan to do that for the nfl draft as well coming up something oh, yeah. along those yeah, lines right. so
0: uh, i want to cover up some other topics before um before we run out of time um live captions and transcripts is coming it, it's announced but it's not here yet what are your thoughts on this guys the value of this live transcripts for microsoft teams meetings for live meetings
3: I think it's uh, in a similar vein to some of the stuff that we talked about with the together mode and and gallery mode. Sometimes you can get a bit distracted within a meeting or you've you've got other priorities and it's always handy to be able to go back to a transcript as it's, as it's live. Um, There's also obviously the, the use case scenarios where uh, uh, someone might have a disability or, or not be able to communicate or understand English itis. Yes, yes, which is usually me more often than not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how my trans translations would actually appear sometimes. You notice um, I
4: left you alone this morning, but
3: yeah, uh, I'll I'll put myself in it, but that's all good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think um, uh, I think it's in preview at the moment, so I think there mm-hmm. is some uh, available options that um, people can uh, implement for their for their meetings uh, at this point with the latest update. So. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good addition. I think it's a needed addition. It's probably more of a, a niche, but they're they're tying it in with Microsoft Stream, so you can actually go search those transcripts and then be able to bring up that section of a video if you've missed it. So yeah, that's the value I think. Yeah,
4: you know, OneNote has done this for years. So um, if you record an audio or a video memo or something in your OneNote book, um, then asynchronously after the fact. Um, it, it transcribes the um, audio, and then if you go up in the top corner of OneNote and search for some string, um, then it will it will bring up that audio thing. So, oh, two minutes and thirty four seconds into this audio, somebody spoke about barbecue chicken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's got, I think that's a good point, but the searchability is, is one big side to it. As you say, with it integrated in with stream, the ability to go into your, you know, in, in, and do a SharePoint search or search everything from your Microsoft world. And in one place, find um, keywords from your email, from your team's conversations, from your files, um, and from recordings of meetings that you had, incredibly powerful so if you think the two main use cases for this is searchability Mm -hmm. so from a data point of view and then uh um you know globalization communication improving communications either because you need to translate it into a different language or you just need to make it available for someone who's hearing impaired or whatever it is it's not new functionality in either case so um uh, powerpoint as you say has had the live transcription and translation, the captions on the go for a little while, now a couple of years, I think, um yep. in general availability. Um and OneNote's had the the transcription. I mean, you know, we've gotten pretty good with uh speech to text by this point. A few a few small uh small platforms out there in the world, um, most of them with with female names associated with them. Um <laughs> that uh yeah, you know. It's, it's it, it, we've gotten to a level of maturity that we, we should be able to do this stuff pretty easily. And I, for one, think it's, uh, um, you know, a pretty good thing being able to translate stuff through teams, whether it's via video or IM or whatever is, um, um, Is pretty powerful. We, we have some, some business partners that we work with, um, that we communicate over teams with, and, um, you can tell that they're not reading my messages in English. And they're not Mm -hmm. writing messages back in English. And it's pretty awesome being able to have an IM conversation with someone in a different language.
0: The virtual breakout rooms. This is a a feature that's got 15,000 votes on the last time I checked on the team's user forums. Um, and it's now in the product roadmap. How many which did the large
3: is... gallery view have? <laughs> yeah. I didn't check that. Well, I think though. it had 40, 40,000 before it got yeah, implemented yeah. something along yeah. those lines.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, But no, no need to keep up voting this one. It's on the product roadmap unless you're unhappy with the uh, timings associated. But I think it's scheduled to arrive um, sometime in this calendar year. Uh, um, it's,
3: yeah, it's scheduled for Q4. Um, Q4, okay. by the, by the looks of it, um, they've got a roadmap of starting in October onwards. So it'll, it'll be released per license.
0: So if anyone who's not familiar with, um, virtual breakout rooms, um, but you want to just take us through what that, what that actually is, what that functionality yeah, is.
3: Essentially, if you have a large meeting, say 50, 50 people or so, it means that you can break them out into individual smaller meetings and then um, be able to allocate them in a a means that um, you need to, whether that is uh, randomly. So you could have a, a... a group of 20 people get randomly selected into four different virtual rooms and then they can go off and have a discussion about a a topic and then come back as an entirety of the meeting to kind of have an overview of what was discussed. Um, A lot of the people that would have upvoted that were from educational-based institutions where that, um, I guess, content sharing um, from a, a, a meeting perspective is really... Uh, adds a lot of value to their core business. So having that availability to do that. And and I think um, the key thing that they're trying to do is link that into the channel system within teams as well. So you can have an individual breakout room tied to a channel and then they can have their own files and, and, um, their own uh, conversations within that channel post breakout meeting. So, yep, there's there's some some cool things that they're trying to do in top in, in trying to break out it from being such a large meeting into individual um, rooms, so to speak. It feels like a fairly niche use case to have uh, so many upvotes.
0: Anything? Mm. Well, yeah, it's got them though. I think. Yeah, I know. It must be. It's got to be driven by the education sector. Like I. You know, I haven't really found, or, or professional services as well. You know, if you if you're a, if you're in a consulting business and you work with big teams, I think uh, there's probably a, a need there. But you're right. Like I, I it's not a feature that I have been That'd hanging. Maybe one out heck for. of a
4: one heck of a consulting engagement where you needed to constantly be breaking out into subgroups. And mm. I think training. You're right. Is the is the go. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think yeah, cool. it's
0: coming. It's coming. Q4. So um, everybody else
4: built it. There must be an demand yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah
0: yeah you know there's a whole bunch of other features i just wanted to flag for people to go check out one exciting one uh is microsoft so is uh sorry, teams rooms remote so it basically turns your um device into a con- remote control for microsoft teams rooms which is pretty cool um there's some Cont- cortana yeah, integration you coming.
4: Have four, four video streams on it <laughs> yeah
0: i'd be i'd be uh I'd be downvoting the teams remote and asking for the um for the the teams rooms to be updated before that
3: one Cortana integration's coming in too which is going to be pretty cool that'll be cool if they tie it in with teams um, voice or teams calling because then you can ask ask Cortana to make a call who shall for you. not be named
4: <laughs> <laughs> indeed i you've think have got Cortana switched on <laughs> <Cortana>. <laughs> <laughs> there's
0: also suggested replies coming so basically if someone's annoying you and you're in a meeting there's suggested replies that, that you can say go away um so that's what i'm looking forward to um there's live reactions i think which is going to be pretty cool so
4: i seem um, to have mastered that manually <laughs> <laughs> i don't need any suggestions uh, can um, we back up a second, or are we getting a yeah, hurry up here let's back up the, the, oh, we could, no, I just wanted to talk about the um, Teams room remote for a second. Yeah, go for that, it. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's an interesting play. At the moment, you need to have a touchscreen wired into your um, into your Teams room system, you know, in order for that to uh, to have that functionality to control it. And, uh, you know, having something that can be a bit more portable than that could be an interesting use case for some, some people. I think the best experience will always be with a fully wired kind of, Set up, and you've got more flexibility in that regard but yeah certainly having having the option is uh is not a bad thing zoom's had that for quite a while That if you didn't want to have a wide whatever you could just have an ipad sitting there
0: the other the other ones i wanted to raise was the live reactions so i think um this ties into what we we're talking about with um you know uh you know meeting fatigue and so i know with like a large gallery view if you're talking say in a town hall kind of scenario and there's lots of um, you know, and and you're the main person speaking. A good way to get uh, to get a sense of everyone's reactions. It's very hard when you're looking at twenty people on a screen to get a feel for how everyone's feeling about what you're saying or the content you're delivering. So being able to just have those built-in reacts, essentially, as in like a there's a clap hands and a thumbs up and a, all that sort of stuff. That's coming, and I think that's gonna that's actually gonna be more powerful than I think. You might first think and the other one is uh video filters so i know um there are some limitations with webcams and some some of the older webcams don't always work um, the way you'd expect them to, or, or that they have trouble with lighting, and I, and so being able the video filters will allow you to actually in-app adjust contrast and and um, and brightness. So I think again that's going to be really powerful. Just again building on the flexibility of the Teams platform. So I'm excited about that as well.
4: Is it worth um, talking about uh, Teams Business Voice? Oh yes, now being available in uh, Australia it's probably. This- kind of that's topical so uh for those of you not uh up to date on this uh microsoft teams has an add-on license that you can buy uh called phone system that allows you to talk to your through a through your favorite uh, uh teams calling provider uh mine's fast track um uh to uh make and receive calls from the the old-fashioned PSTN network. So the limitation up until now in Australia has been that um, you couldn't add that license onto anything other than an E1 or an E3 um, office or Microsoft 365 license, which um, limit which which um, excluded a whole bunch of um, of the market, um, mm. including people on the very popular Microsoft 365 business um, uh, plan, uh, which is a great value plan. That's very, very popular, um, at the moment. So there's a new license, Microsoft business voice has been released, um, in the last few weeks, um, which includes the license to use the phone system as well as audio conferencing as well. But
3: yes, that's correct. So it ties basically both those together and, and gives the ability that, that add on, um, business voice license can be added to, uh, any of the business based licensing. License. So based what about F SKUs, uh, F SKUs, there's some caveats around that. Uh, but the, the same business voice license can go on to, uh, um, some of the not for profit based licensing and education okay. licensing now. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, some more details about the full scope of licensing available if needed. So that's, uh,
4: that's really exciting. I know we've got a bunch of um, uh, M365 business customers that are, uh, have been quite uh, keen to get their hands on that Teams calling functionality, but haven't been able to due to that licensing uh, limitation. So that's, um, that's a cool thing.
0: Uh, I am somewhat excited uh, to introduce our next guest. Uh, he's our team leader of connectivity, Bilal Shisti. A A lukewarm welcome uh, to you, given that you're a half an hour <laughs> late to the scheduled, uh, production time. So thanks for your tardiness, appreciate you, you making some of your time available to us.
2: Considering my timing, that's early,
4: you should be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's Bilal you talking about, I'm stoked that he turned up at all.
0: <laughs> yes, it's uh, it is a, it, it, yes, it's i I'm very thankful the fact <laughs> that you actually turned up at all. So, uh, it's, it's good to have you here. I wanted to talk to you, um, to blow and Yoni to you guys today about um, some of the challenges our more geographically dispersed um, uh, organisations are. So we've got some some customers who have um, very geographically dispersed customer base, but a, a, a fairly local um, presence in terms of data centre presence and, and where where their environment lives. Um, and as a result, uh, some of these customers. Um, some of our clients, customers who are accessing, um, these, their, our client services, uh, have run into some latency issues. And we've, we've come up with some, some different ways of solving those, those challenges, um, and allowing our customers or our, our clients to, to reach new markets and access new customers in, in new markets. And I'm, I'm keen to hear, um, you know, how we went about solving, solving those. So, but do, uh, do you want to take us through those?
4: Yeah, sure thing. Well, uh, nothing alike.
2: <laughs> oh, the people, the people can't see, right? So no, I can see. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so to start off, like, uh, some of our customers, like just not our customers, like business in general, like more and more people are like moving towards the cloud, and you are having more and more resources which are being accessed remotely, just not from on premises. And especially since post COVID as well, like, you have very few very small part of the workforce, which is actually in the, inside the office, which is now accessing those services via the corporate van. So you're coming in from the outside. Uh, suppose, for example, a company is based in, say, Australia, in Sydney, but they have customer bases here in Singapore, in India, in Hong Kong, so on and so forth. So if they have their resources based here, or uh, those customers will be coming in from abroad, and the latency from those locations might not be the best. Uh, it might be it might not be the issue is the variance one day you might be getting a pretty good one one day you might be getting a poor one and that is an area which is completely outside your control because that is completely upstream
4: the great unwashed internet
2: yes so how do you try and solve this one like how do you manage that latency to take it from an unmanageable one and get into into either a manageable range or like a pretty decent range which suddenly allows a whole new market for you to open up. Customers which were complaining and were not getting good experience now can get one. And for that, the virtual point of presence uh, is one of the reasons, like one of the things that we're pushing some of our customers as well, who has this who have this sort of unique business case. So what that basically is, uh, we have a point of presence near to the clients, the customers, the end customers, the end user actually and we funnel traffic to that point of presence. So now you're sh- shortening the distance from uh, the end user to the point of presence, which has to go over the public internet. The smaller that is the, sp- the lower the variance and the less chance that there'll be like more latency issues. From there onwards, you can certainly unroll that traffic onto uh, a dedicated link between data centers, between those point of presence. So say between Singapore and Sydney And that's a dedicated link that has SLAs. So if it has, if you have higher latency, you can actually go to the provider and say, okay, this is what the issue that we're having. This is what the agreement was. And suddenly you have cut down that latency and suddenly, and you also have a sort of uh, guarantee that, okay, it'll be within a certain range. And It's, it's especially useful and like noticeable for end user, especially if it's a web based application or it's in a remote desktop application or a VDI environment and it makes a massive difference for them.
4: So this is not a new concept right below like uh, um, cloud providers have been playing this game for uh, a long time now, you know, when when Microsoft um, uh, got into the, um, the kind of enterprise cloud SaaS space with you know, BPOS, then Office 365, they started that process with the fantastic asset under their belt um, of the third biggest IP network in the world, right? Yep. They owned all of the MSN fiber and all of that, um, all of those assets. Um, and you could see that evident in the way that they designed their network was um Really, quite clever. So they're, um, they're, you know, optimizing for user experience, right? So um, uh, rather than leaving it up to the great unwashed internet to um, decide, like you say, there's too much variance. Hmm. The that's concept what the is,
2: yeah, that's it, what of the way which AWS, goes right. It's the opposite, right? Yeah.
4: So yeah, so AWS tend to optimize for cost, right? So they'll they'll leave you on the internet where they're not paying the bill yeah. um, until the very last minute. And then they'll bring you on only local to the data center to keep the costs of running that network down. Um, but to be fair, you know, Microsoft, um, had that asset, um, available to them and as a result have been able to take this, um, what, what's called cold potato routing approach, right? Yep. Uh, so to get the potato as quickly as you can and keep it, you know, within your realm of control for as long as possible. Um, uh, which is ultimately the the concept that you're describing here.
2: Exactly. So, the only difference is in that case, uh, you're basically tied into Microsoft's network, right? So if you have resources in Azure and so on and so forth, yeah. but if you have your own on-prem infrastructure and if you're not tied to one cloud provider, then the solutions that you have sort of become less and less, like it, there's yeah, not yeah. much in the market.
4: I'm not saying use yeah. Microsoft's network, I'm yeah. saying steal their idea.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and you can apply to anything else as well like you can have your own custom ranges like your own ip network advertise what you want you suddenly have a, a far larger degree of control over it as well whereas with uh, other services you're basically depending upon how they do it so yeah. there's like more control in this case and you can tailor it according to your specific needs and depending yeah. on the location as well
4: yeah. I think that's right. You can tune it up to get that um, you know cost versus user experience uh, analysis um, uh, ratio correct. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, there's a there's a bunch of different use cases here. You kind of only been speaking to the um, uh, the the my customer um, or my end user is not near my platform scenario. Yeah. Um, uh, that kind of isolates the whole not- another set of use cases that we've probably seen even more frequently, where um, some provider or some source of data that I need to be close to my platform um, is not close to me, and uh, I'm forced over calls, the internet to use it.
2: Yeah, which are very sensitive to jitter and packet loss. So in that case, like you, you're not that much worried about latency, but jitter and packet loss, those are of the utmost importance. If you're sending a database call, you want it to go through. No yeah. matter what the other end system is, maybe it may financial or something else. So yeah. Yeah. Great. So I was gonna
4: say financial uh services, we're seeing a lot of that stuff. Um niche connectivity solutions for financial services, big at the moment, but it's not limited to them. It's anywhere where your platform is um uh, you know kind of not in the same location as your um as your providers.
2: Yeah. And I think another thing as well, like once you spread it out, you still have other controls. So in those different uh, virtual points of presence, uh, you don't really have a DC presence, you're not investing in in hardware, but you can still connect to other cloud providers in different regions and connect them to your network and out. Uh, Basically, whatever your problem you're trying to solve, you can sort of augment it into this one, and make it like one cohesive thing, rather than just having random different things lying about, you can just have one central thing which ties everything together yeah and and
4: I guess at the end of the day it's all about expanding your sphere of influence over the user experience or at the end of the day right
2: yeah definitely, and it gives you more options as well like for example, one of our clients like they wanted to go with a third party vendor they didn't like anyones in Australia like okay yep. they went with someone abroad in the u k in this case uh but if they were if they didn't have that option, they would have had to do business with someone whose business practices or everything else they did not agree with. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Nice one, guys. And um, sorry, I just uh, had some internet issues before, which is funny to, <laughs> given the topics we're just uh, <laughs> discussing. Um, so, you know, are there any kind of um, use cases where, you know, virtual pop might not be, you know, well suited to? to? <laughs>
4: um yeah for sure um at the end of the day there's uh um uh, you know we were talking about microsoft earlier whilst you were um off you know enjoying the benefits of australia's national broadband network um and uh and we were talking about how how microsoft uh use their network assets to um uh, improve the user experience with cold potato routing so um, to answer your question i think the scenarios where that isn't going to work is at some at some point the speed of light um comes into play and so uh, you know you can certainly optimize um uh, a user experience you can remove the variance um that's present on the internet um but you can't make two locations you can't make light travel between two locations faster than it does. Um, you can't open so, a wormhole. Yeah. Sorry.
2: You can't open a wormhole.
4: Yeah. So uh, uh, I think that those scenarios are where um, you know uh, network tuning is never going to replace geographic spread um, from a, a global um, service provider's point of view. Uh, And then it comes down to your application. You know, what 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 are the requirements for an acceptable um, user experience? So there's a huge amount of variance even within web applications. Some web applications will um, suffer latency uh, um, uh, very, very well. I mean, you know, um, HTML is a uh, a language or the the HTTP protocol was written for, uh, data connections that were far less stable and far less performant than the ones that we have today. So, um, uh, but you know, people are doing things with it now that I don't think were ever envisaged. Um, uh, but yeah, even within a a web-based application, there are some applications that will work just fine with, um, a second of latency on them. And there are some that just simply won't. Um, Hmm. so yeah, I think, I think that's probably the key, um, the key scenario here is the the um, uh, the, the situations where um, the latency is just too high, regardless of what you do with it. Sometimes there's just no substitute for being local, uh, and then the other scenarios where it wouldn't be a good idea is where it just doesn't matter.
0: Thanks, guys. Um, the next the, the other topic I wanted to raise today was around open source networking. So this is a, there's a bit of a trend that we've noticed over the last few few years towards um, uh, and a break towards em- embracing open source networking um, and moving away from proprietary networking solutions so i 'm keen to get both your thoughts on kind of w- what 's kind of motivated this this trend towards open source and 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 what the kind of benefits and, and challenges associated with it are so I might um, start with you below what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on this
2: i think primarily cost <laughs> yeah so if you 're going with a proprietary like com- company like uh you're just not paying for the hardware, you're just paying for the R&D, you're paying for the support, you're paying for the IP and so on and so forth. And, it, and then you're paying for the premium on top of that. So it really ramps up. Uh, and in a lot of cases where you're looking at a certain product and you're looking at a certain problem and trying to use that product to, to solve that problem, the price just makes it prohibitive and you might need to downgrade so on and so forth. So that is where basically open source networking has come in. Uh, initially, it was more to do with oh, like open source software but now open source like like hardware like vendor agnostic hardware is coming more and more popular as well and it's matured pretty rapidly over the last couple of years and it's not the same situation it was years ago where you're like looking at an inferior product from like a qa perspective they're made in the same factories this made by the same people as the high-end products it's the same parent company who's reselling one to one vendor and one to an open source one one just them the glitzy name on top of it uh the features are like the hardware wise they're pretty similar now and plus uh with if you have a vendor diagnostic uh, hardware you can choose whatever you want to imply on on it so you can have different sort of stuff and you can have the same os on it makes it easy to manage and even the operating systems as well uh they're being developed at a pretty rapid rate and they're becoming more mature as well. So even some of the open source projects now have uh, like proper support cases, like you have SLAs and such and they become pretty mature. For example, primarily, if you're talking about routing, you have BIOS and in switching, you have Cumulus. An, an well, example, yeah, sorry, go ahead, sir. I
4: I, I um... I find it quite interesting that you called out cost as the primary um, uh, factor driving open networking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it would have been a bit further down my list, to be honest. Okay. I, for, for me, it's about mm-hmm. flexibility.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, you know, so it's, it's no secret that um, uh, FastTrack is a, um, a a huge advocate and a and an adopter of um, of VIOS um, as the as our routing platform, and we use that. Um, in, in a lot of cases in, a, in virtual machines, um, but also um, broadly adopted um, uh, using different hardware platforms um, as well. Some of our own that we manufacture and some that we, um, you know, other x86 hardware that we run it on. Um, and uh, for me, the benefit of open um, networking is that it allows us to um, uh, select the hardware um, that's fit for purpose or yep. lack of hardware in the case of virtual machine, um, the, the, the platform you might say, um, and then, uh, um, uh, choose the software th- to go with it and still have a consistent experience, um, supporting and managing that platform, regardless of whether you're logging into a virtual machine or a, um, a, a Intel, um, based, uh, PC or some SOC thing that we've, we've put together or whatever it is it's consistent so that that decoupling of the hardware from the software solution um, that allows you to select both of them independently um, gives you a lot more flexibility to uh, build a solution that that meets your requirements
2: exactly if you want a router with a specific like certain NIC configuration certain uh, hardware cpu consideration you can buy that particular one rather than being tied to a certain series okay you can only buy this one then there's a huge jump and then you have the old hundred gig, whatever it is. You can, put, yeah, you I know, completely agree.
4: And with you know, that. as the guy who's charged with supporting this stuff, you can say to your team that you know that they can learn one platform and they can support one platform, rather than being told, "Oh, well, look, we wanted to go to hundred gig networking on this particular um, pop, so we had to go with a different brand which has a different operating system on it and a different whole different platform to learn." Um, you know, it's tricky. You can understand all the networking. Um, concepts, But if you're constantly trying to look up CLI guides to figure out, um, you know, how to configure different devices, it becomes hard to to manage. So that's the big benefit for me is the flexibility. Yes. Also, and it's like, a really different experience dealing with the support community on I was say the same thing, networking yeah. products. Uh, you know, like um, uh, you, you call uh, the, the Ciscos or the Fortinets um, of the world for support, you go into a queue and you get a very kind of... Um, Impersonal um, uh, support experience, which in some cases is better. Sometimes you just like, just fix my problem and like the clock's ticking, pal. Um, but on, on other occasions where are like, you, you know, you, you're a bit more relaxed about the situation, being able to, uh, um, you know, jump in a forum or in a, in a chat, some Slack channel or whatever the, the platform uses and get community-based support that's far more, you know, loving and personal and caring. Um, uh, often I prefer that kind of experience you know
2: I feel that especially when you're trying to implement a service Uh, so like with the other like historic like major vendors if you want a support case uh, they're pretty decent but when you're like implementing a service then that's mostly like okay that doesn't really fall into our bucket and yeah, they'll sort yeah, push to, back and they're, they're talk to
4: the professional services team yeah
2: yeah because that'll be a consulting gig somewhere else as well whereas with the open source like, it's a very tight-knit community as well and then they're very open to share information so what worked for them they'll let you know the use cases uh and the fear of the flow of information the, for me, I think I think it's it's just the more preferable solution in that case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely.
4: and, um, and, and talking and there about are a like, lot of actually, big organizations going,
2: good, going that way, right? Yeah. So I was actually someone to say like uh, it's just like not smaller organizations as well. Like uh, for example, London Internet Exchange, one of the largest internet exchanges in the world, they have the Lawn One and the Lawn Two Pops. The London two pop is now completely gone to open source networking. Uh, I think, believe they 've mostly gone with edge core networking on their switch, switch stacks, but that 's pretty amazing like uh London internet Exchange is like one of the cornerstones of the public internet, and like a major chunk of it is now on open source networking
4: yeah, there 's about a third of the internet 's routes yeah. are on that last time I checked yeah <laughs> um yeah. It's it, it, gone to the days where the big internet routers in London and Munich, you know, around the place, they're all like, it was brocade MLX. That's all it was, you know, yeah. um, it's, it, you're right. It's, it's a pretty big marker that um, organizations like that are, um, are moving to open networking.
2: Yeah. I don't think they, they're, they're the, doing it
4: because of the cost.
2: <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> because they're like, yeah, for them, I, I completely agree with you. Like just the flexibility as well, because with these internet exchanges, because they have like dynamic changes, like some, they have loads of customers who need like 100 gig ports, 10 gig ports, everything else. They can now deploy whatever they need according to the requirements rather than just going through a set one. Yeah, definitely.
4: You know, it's interesting to think about, right? Um, uh, Like quite a few years back, Um, the challenge with open, because when open networking, like network function, virtualization, um, you know, and these things were all kind of merging, these concepts were all starting to crystallize, um, a little bit before you were in the game Bilal, that one of the big challenges that we faced was that, um, all of the, the startup projects, the open source projects, um, they were all being bought and sold all over the place. uh, so, you know, uh, we've, we've been talking about Vios, the routing platform, um, used to be called Viata. That was the open source platform. Yep. And then Brocade bought Viata. Um, and then for a while they had that and, you know, um, that there was a pretty good experience there. And then eventually it got sold around um, and uh, and it ended up with the with with the the biggest um, uh, uh, implementation. Uh, Viata actually ended up being bought by at who had the biggest implementation of it. And so they didn't care too much about supporting anybody else. Yeah. And so o- oftentimes, you know, you have to get your head to stop spinning, um, trying to keep up with um, the acquisitions and pass the parcel of uh, um, of these platforms. And that can be a bit of a, um, a you know, a, a bit of a downer when you're trying to look for something that's stable and and easy to manage. You don't know where your support's going to come from. Um next month uh so but yeah funnily enough um it seems to have been going on in the proprietary hardware space um you know as well over the last few years so like you (laughs) can't really get away from it now
2: right exactly but i felt like a general trend over the last couple of years just with the advent of crowdfunding and such, I think more and more smaller companies are now resistant to that one until like they become more and more mature. So it's just not in this space. It's just generally across the board as well.
4: Yeah, I think that's true. And like, if you pick the right platforms that say, Oh, you know, we'll never, we'll never sell out and we're going to be open source forever, you know, Uh, (laughs) and, um, and it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a tricky tricky game to be playing. Like, yeah. you saw Cumulus got bought ones- by Mellanox recently.
2: Oh, okay.
4: <laughs> so Mellanox being one of the yeah. biggest uh, um, uh, manufacturers of open source switching hardware that runs Cumulus now owns Cumulus. So what is that going to mean for everybody else? Like, who knows, right? Yeah. So if you were, um, you know, rolling edge core with Cumulus on it. I wonder, you know, I wonder what, I wonder what they're thinking about how the product development's going to change. Mm.
1: Definitely.
0: Do you, just to round out a discussion, because we're, we're running out of time, mm. um, uh, do you lose anything by moving away from a proprietary-based um, networking gear and going to open source? Is there, you know, just playing devil's advocate here.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, you do, you do. I mean, you're in a scenario where ultimately you have, you're replacing one vendor or one throat to choke with two. So you've got, you'll have a hardware vendor, and then you'll have a software vendor, whether whether you pay the money or not is a another question. Um, and so, you know, you, you lose that, hey, we paid you lots of money, make this work now, please, thing that you can... Mm um that you You lose that that card yeah and you know to be honest network hardware um has always been very reliable and so generally when something's not right with um with 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 a network device it's in the firmware or the software that runs on it um and so you know you move away from a, a proprietary you know the cisco's of the world um you lose that uh that kind of level of support agreement that you might otherwise um, come to expect. But that being said, as Bilal mentioned, some of the open networking software projects have really good quality professional support that you can pay for now and still be miles out in front from a commercial point of view. Um, And so you you buy buy a support plan for Cumulus just the same as you would for for your Cisco Nexus switch. And um and yeah, so I don't know, I maybe I've talked myself out of the thing that I said you lose to answer your question. So you lose it sort of depends lose like the- how
2: much your investment invested in one platform as well. So if your entire platform organization is on one platform, it makes it a bit more difficult to move. Like you can do piece by piece. But if you're like already have multiple vendors, then you already have an issue where like it's just too much segregated. In that case, it sort of makes sense to like unify and just make it easy. To, to support it internally and externally.
4: Yeah, and also, um, uh, people is a, a challenge. Um, it's, if 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 your primary concern was being able to find people to, to support and manage your platform, then you'd just, you'd, you'd pick Cisco every time because everybody, it's the de facto industry standard, but it doesn't mean that they're the only guys doing good stuff out there. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that the price is right. Um, it, it, but it can be a challenge, you know. Some, sometimes, if you if you're trying to hire network engineers, um, oftentimes you'll find people that'll turn their nose up at at open networking and um, you know other other vendors. So um, it's still not quite mainstream everywhere yet. But I don't I think that's the end of the world, to be honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Anything else below? that you not lose? That's pretty
2: much it. Uh, that's pretty much it. I guess so. Uh. Yeah,
0: so It's bad. sounds like it's about knowing what you lose and the, and, and working around it. So if you, if you, if you're losing that, if you're adding a throat to choke, we'll just build around the process around making sure that you can choke two
2: throats simultaneously. It's uh, not so much building around the, because you have to remember there's also great positives as well, regarding yeah. the flexibility, the ease of use and commercials as well. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the other sides and you, you want to see, you want to balance them out and see for your use case, like what makes sense. Yeah. Because in some cases, the the commercials can be difference can be quite massive as well. Mm. And the ease of users having a standard thing across your organization. Again, if it makes it easier to use it, it means that you're going to probably have less problems.
4: Yeah, I know where I sit.
2: Where do you sit? it? <laughs> oh, I'm,
4: for, for our platform, you know, the, the open source platforms that we use service very well, um, they, they've used them in to innovate. There's, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what it is that I, that we, we would we're missing out on not having, uh, um, a, you know, not having a Cisco support plan in place and rather having access to the vast community of, of people who actually care, um, you know, to, to, to solve these problems.
0: Well, i think that's a good place to wrap up lads so um thanks so much for joining me and um uh, it's great having you on and uh hopefully see you back in a couple of weeks when we uh, tackle another big networking challenge or um opportunity so thanks yeah, thanks yeah it was good guys.
4: to have you here for the three minutes that your mbn was working
0: i <laughs> uh, gotta plug in that ethernet cable next time <laughs> all right thanks guys see, see you next time, time. Thanks for joining our very first episode of the F-Team. I hope you've had half as much fun listening to it as we did making it. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, uh, you can send us an email via info at ftpl.com.au. See you next time.